Welcome to another episode of Dad Is Not An Owl, changing the narrative for men of color fatherhood, as well as changing the narrative on the things I care about. And on today's episode of Dad Is Not An Owl, this is poetry and mental health part two. The reason why, because again, you know, I suffer from depression and poetry has been one of my um, coping skills to help me through my depression. Uh, and on today's special guest does the same thing. He's a talented poet out of NYC. He's my brother from another mother, Robert Gibbons. Just just amazing, extraordinary poet. He's going to share a poem with me, but also share his story because he's been through a lot from almost committing suicide to losing a loved one of his, his significant other, um, to hiding that he's gay with his family for so many years so this is a very powerful and impactful uh conversation again like share subscribe tell everyone about this uh podcast that is not announced all right here comes the episode peace this episode of that is not a noun is sponsored by vt heroes Take it away, and thank you, VT Heroes, for sponsoring this episode of That Is An Owl. That Is Not An Owl. Let me do it over again. Hey, I want to thank VT Heroes for sponsoring this episode of That Is Not An Owl. Take it away, VT Heroes. And again, thank you for sponsoring this episode of That Is Not An Owl. You just got kicked in the gut. Punch in the face. Customize your hero using color, element, and totem. Flip your action cards to determine the winner. Yes! It's my turn now. Collect, trade, battle, and win. A new fighting card game has arrived. Play VT Heroes. All for you, yeah, yo. There will never it matters, and even more when you feel like it doesn't. Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't. No, I'm right alongside you. Here but that, I'm behind you, but always got you. End of discussion. Nothing means more. First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for. Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours, and know that I ain't see a better view yet. I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret. Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak to change what a partake. Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway. My job is to aware you, fully loaded, prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, I know, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them, along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, I've been down. Cause feeling's not an option, and dad is not a noun, not at all. Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Ishmael from Dad Is Not A Now. What's going on? What's going on? I had to change the screen a little bit so the people can see us a little bit better. But I'm back with you, and I'm truly, truly excited to have a special guest with me because my first love is poetry. I love writing poetry. I've been writing poetry since I was 15. 
I've had previous guests that were extraordinary poets. And this brother is another extraordinary poet that I have on today. And we're going to touch on another, we're going to touch on the same topic. We're going to talk about mental health and right. poetry because they go hand in hand. And this they brother do. has a story to tell. And I'm going to use my platform for him to share his story. The brother's based out of New York. Yeah. I've known this, I know this brother for almost 10 years. Yes. yes follow yes. his work. Yeah. He's amazing. You're going to love this brother. The one and only Robin Gibbons. How you, brother? Yeah. How you, brother? I'm all good. I'm How good. I'm good, my brother. I'm good. I'm feeling good. It's a wonderful day. Um, It's a beautiful, we've had a beautiful three days here in, in New York City. I'm in Brooklyn, right in front of the beautiful Brooklyn Library. This is a place that I come to every day. And as a matter of fact, as you talk about mental health, this is the way, this is one of the ways I've learned how to cope with my struggles of living in an urban city, you know, just living in a place where there are millions of people at one time. It's always, and even with the with, with the past pandemic, we're still trying to organize space outside. So what this library has done everything outside is always wired so you can sit out here in front of the library and you can do your work it's almost like an outside office it's amazing to be able to sit out here i wish you i wish we could i could show you what i'm talking about all the beautiful like wooden benches they've put up around the library it's just amazing to be here so thank you for giving me a chance to just talk a little bit this morning to my brothers that are out there in the world that might be listening to my voice that have experienced the same thing that I've experienced or gone through the same thing. It's about healing now, my brother. It's about and, healing. And I, I truly concur with you, brother. It's all about healing. Right. And one thing I've learned from my pre previous guests, especially the good brother, uh, Cesar Borojas, um, mm -hmm. uh, words has a powerful meaning. And yeah. the way you say things to certain people can right. impact their life. So right. what I try to implement in my life, instead of saying how you're doing, he right. taught me to say, instead of saying, how you doing, um, say, how's your heart today? All right. That's great. That's great. And so That's I'm great. trying to implement that because often when you say, how you doing, sometimes you really don't mean it. You just say it just to say it because it feels good because you really right. don't care about what that person right. feeling and how they're right. doing. So you just right. say, it. so, you know, I care about you. You know, I love you. my yeah. friend. So yes, how's your heart at the moment? Well, my heart is my heart is great. You know, I am. I feel. I feel um, blessed. I feel. I feel that I have a certain type of privilege that I've made, I've really worked hard at getting to this point in my life where, you know, I built community. I've connected. I've I've tried my best to stay positive about who I am as a writer and an artist. But sometimes it's, it's a struggle. You know, it is a struggle. But today, right now, to answer your question, I'm balanced. You know, I feel good about what's going to happen in the future, you know. And so all I can say is, is I'm, I'm here. I'm right here with you. I'm vibing with you. It's a great moment. And I'm glad we had a chance to have this talk because this will start my day. And so that's the thing about coming to the library, being in this space. I know it's going to, the weather is changing and stuff. I know it's going to get cold. It's already, the weather is already changing. But, you know, just being coming to this institution, sitting here, you know, having my daily morning gratitude list. And that's another thing I want to tell you. I write a gratitude list every day. I'm grateful for waking up. I'm grateful for my mother. I'm grateful for my father. I'm grateful for my friends that support me. I'm grateful 
for the literary life I live. Those kinds of things. And when you're talking about putting words into action, and that's where I think the greatest impact comes from when it comes to the gratitude list. And I'm stating my intentions for today. I'm not going to be negative. I'm not going to let that man that's on that train ruin my whole day like at one time it could. Yeah. And I think that's important, and I love that you brought that up, brother. Um, yeah. And then also, I'm hearing the wind in the background reciting a poem. <laughs> right. yeah, 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 I yeah. was trying to decipher what the wind was trying to say. <laughs> okay, all right. Because right. the wind can be deep sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm glad we did it early this morning because after, you know, this, 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 li- this is the main library here in Brooklyn, so after a while, it's going to get very crazy because the park is right there. The Botanic Gardens is right there. The Brooklyn Museum. So it's going to get, it's going to be outrageously. It's going to be know, crowded. It's going to be crowded. crowded. In <laughs> and, it's a be- and it's the last of the beautiful days. They say tomorrow's will to change. So, you know, everybody's going to come out, you know. That's right, man. Yeah. Well, for people who don't know Robert, who is right. Robert? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I grew up in South Florida. I grew up in. Um, a little small town enclosed by sugarcane called Bell Glade. And the reason I'm telling people about Bell Glade is because recently the Sierra Club down in Bell Glade reached out to me and asked me to create a series of poems. They commissioned me to do a series of poems about the sugarcane, burning of the sugarcane down there. And if anybody is familiar with burning of the sugarcane, that's years and years of soot and smoke in the air. So Ishmael, this smoke has affected my people, my ancestors. There's no telling generations of people that have passed away. So I've written a poem. I've done videos for them already. But, you know, they want me to continue to spread the word about the, the burning of the sugar cane. So I, I'm from a little place in Bell Glade. Fortunately for me, my grandparents came down there through the migrant trails. So they came looking for work from Georgia to South Carolina, to Florida, and this is the way they end up. If you're familiar with Zora Neale Hurston, you know that Zora Neale Hurston kind of goes around to these little small, little all-black towns, and she, well, Belle Glade is one of the places she came and she wrote some of her folk tales. And so, yeah, it's a very, it's a very segregated place because we lived on one side of the town, and I, our lighter skin brothers lived on the other side of the town, and um, I went to an all-black school. I had all, all teachers. I went to an all-black uh, uh, church, I, you know, everything was all black, you know, and uh, I guess for some people that might be a good situation, but as I grew and went to college in Tallahassee and, and went to Atlanta and went to D.C. and finally up here in New York, you know, it tends to kind of give you um, a narrow-minded way of looking at the world, that, you know, if you're not able to deal with other kinds of people. But I was fortunate. Both, both of my parents were educated. They both went to college. You know, they, they taught me how to be open to things as they come. And then yeah. when when did you knew you had a passion for writing? Well, that's a great question. I, I uh, you know, I, I think it's always kind of been in me. Uh, you know, I, I remember going back to second grade and see, I went to an elementary school where my mother was a teacher. So there wasn't many things that I could get away with. But, you know, one thing I did do in the second grade, I entered a spelling bee there. And so that's when my second grade teacher, Miss Helen Vereen, which was a great friend of my mom, she was like, she was like you know, she, your son has a great passion for words. She told my mother that in second grade, you should really encourage. So it was ever since then, my mom encouraged the reading, the writing, the oration, which is 
which comes along in the black church. You know, you get a chance right. to do Christmas speeches and eight. So I did all those things. And my mom continued to, you know, continue to encourage me to write. And in eighth grade, I entered my first poetry contest and won the poetry contest. And so it kind of it kind of followed me a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But I really didn't pursue it until I became a certain age. And this was going through college, going through the messy, the messy college years. <laughs> and then growing up, learning how to be responsible and be mature. And then saying, okay, what am I, what am I going to do? Do I want to be an educator? Do I want to be, do I want to be a museum educator? Do I want to be a historian? Do I want to be a history teacher? I've done all of those things. I've taught on ships. I've taught in the museums. I've taught in the park. I've taught in the classrooms. I've taught at the universities. So I've done a, I've done a, a lot of things academically, but it still did not meet the secret self. And that's where the writing comes in. You know, I've always kept a journal. And so that's where the writing comes in, my brother. Yeah. And, and then do you remember the first poem you wrote? Because I don't remember the first poem I wrote. Right. That's what a lot of people ask me that question when I'm interviewed. Did I do I remember that first poem? It, it was some kind of goosey woosey woo type of poem in eighth grade, just trying to get the rhyme and you know win the contest. But you know, it's always been there. And then I had a mother that was an English, she was an English literature person. So you know, she always introduced me to Langston Hughes and Baldwin and Zora. So I, I, I was very fortunate, my brother, you know, coming from the circumstances that I come from and having the kind of parents that I had that love black literature, especially, you know, they, you know, they love black literature and they told me about the names. And so I had that in me when I was a kid, you know, and that's very, very important, you know, right. to the fathers out there that are raising kids. And I know there are some great fathers out there that are raising beautiful kids, you know, teach them that history early, you know, Teaching that history early, and that that's important. And then also, do you remember that 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 poem that you wrote or you read, and you're like, you know what, this is what I want to do, because everyone had that one poem that kind of hit you hard, and you're right. like, this is my my profession. This is right. what I want to do. Forget right. about the other stuff. Right. I want to do this. What was that right. poem? And do you remember that that moment in time? I do remember that moment. That moment is it came. I guess it came, you know, when I when I finally decided that I was going to be honest about myself, you know, and I think honesty is the very best policy, you know, especially turning a certain age, you know, at 40s, 50s, like I am in those age ranges, you know, and then you want to still lie, you know, you want to still keep secrets, you want to still hide. No, you know, so I made up in my mind and it came, it kind of all came along together, you know, that I was losing people all around me. People were dying, you know, from, from disease, from alcoholism, from addiction. And I've suffered from all of those things. And I'm glad you bring this thing up about mental health because I grew up in a place where it was either church or death. And, you know, it, you know, you don't need to go to therapy, Robert, you need to go to Jesus. And for a lot of people in the African-American community, Okay, religion is okay. Your spiritual life is okay if that's what you ascribe to, but you also need therapy if you need therapy. You know, and I came from a place where traditional religion was you need to you need to seek Jesus first, or you need to seek a higher power first, and then you'll be all right. Well, in some cases, that's not all right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's so true too, because I remember yeah. I had a, a therapist on uh -huh. last year. Right. And I equated uh 
religion as a uh, Pepnobismo. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know, but you have to put in the work. You can't yeah. just pray it pray and it goes away. You have no. to go see a therapist. Yes. Uh find other uh right. people out there that you can talk to. Yeah. One of the important right. things is to share your story. Right, right. Often right. we feel like we are comfortable sharing our story because we feel like if we do, right. we, we become we've we we play this persona that we're gonna be weak. Yeah. Um, yeah. We wanna. Yeah. We don't wanna be vulnerable. We right. just. We wanna put. We wanna wear this mask. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, my brother. Yeah. And yeah. I think. And I think that's important. And I think yeah. that's what I learned about you as a writer too. Is right. that okay. when you, you're you're very open and, and, and transparent with your writing. Oh, thank you. you. Know? I appreciate and, that. And 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 it's it's a beautiful thing. To see, yeah. and but also like just talk about that too. Talk about yeah. the addiction and the yeah. things okay. that kind of hindered you. Okay, okay so you know, <laughs> I grew up in I grew up in South. I grew up in Florida and in, in, in a very small place, one traffic life type of place, and you know, one high school. So you can imagine the type of word that got around, you know. And so, <clears throat> if your mother was a teacher and your father was a teacher, those are big people in the community, in small communities in the South. And right. then, you know, especially if they're attached to the community, sororities, fraternities, you know, my parents were all a part of that, you know, uh, religion, church, all those kinds of things, those standard type, type of things that build communities. My parents were a part of that. So I felt like, <clears throat> especially when it came to certain things of sexuality or addiction or or any of those kinds of things that were totally antithetical to what they thought or what they believed, I had to keep those secret. I had to hide. I had to go to Miami to go to the club. I had to go to Fort Lauderdale to the club. I had to hang out. And oftentimes, my mom, I think my mom and my dad, they knew what was going on. They just want, they wanted to give me a chance to talk about it. You know, uh, hope good, uh, it was a great idea for me to mature in that area and to be able to be total transparent with them. And I think that comes up in the writing too. When you hear, when you hear these people that always want to use these big words and be abstract and confuse you and trap you up in their writing, those people too, they, they go through the same type of journey of just really, you know, not being honest with themselves. If, uh, you know, I want to give you the impression that I'm smart or I want to give you the impression that, you know, that I can use big words. Well, I can do those kind of things too. But at this point in my life, Brother Ishmael, I want to be honest. You know, I think honesty, people can deal with you better. Whether they like who you are or not, at least you know who I am, bro. At least you know who I am. You know and, what I'm saying? I've lied all these years. You know, I've, I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've treated people wrong. I missed jobs. I overslept. I stayed out all night. I, You know, I dealt. I did things I shouldn't have done. But right now, if you ask me, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. And I think and I think that's important. You have to be honest, but to also just talk about how that kind of hindered your mental health of this hiding that from your family, thinking yeah. that if you were open right. about your sexuality, right. that right. they would kind of banish you. Like right. just talk I, about yeah. that. Well, you know, I, I did. I hid it I hid it. Well well, according to them, according to them, it wasn't it wasn't a hidden thing. You know, it was just all up in my head. Robert, my, I can sit, hear my mom when I finally had a conversation with her on South Beach in 2015 after I had married this person. And this person was dying of cancer. And I was here in New York 
you know, crying and weeping and, and because I know that person wasn't going to live no more than two weeks. And so I had to try to, you know, hide all my pain alone. You know, my family was down south. So they didn't, they had no idea that I was married to anybody and had been married to this person for like a long time. We had kept the, the marriage secret because I wanted to keep it secret. Not because that person wanted to keep it secret because I wanted to keep it from them. Right. And so finally, when 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 it was time for the cancer to just blow up and end everything, you know, he was like, you know what, you need to go and tell your parents that you're going through this because I'm not going to be here much longer to help you get through this. And I know you're going to fall apart. And he was right. He was right that, you know, if I didn't have that conversation with my mother, with my family, that I needed the support. And my mom took it very hard because she was like, how dare you? keep this from us you know what i'm saying right. well i thought i'm 50 years old I, this is what i was told i'm 50 years old i thought you were going to disown you how can we disown you you know what i'm saying we can't disown you at this point you know all those kinds of things in your head and by the way we always knew who you were we gave you the chance to tell us wow. and so this was the whole conversation so after i after i realized that brother ishmael that they were people that I could come and talk to no matter what I was going through. You know, right. I hid this, I lived this secret life in Belglade with a few friends that were like me. We would sneak and do stuff and all those people have died. I mean, none of those people live because it was either addiction or it was HIV or it was AIDS or it was drug addiction or it was cocaine or it was heroin, whatever they did. And we did it all because we had to mask the pain. You know what I'm saying? Because there were no outlets for people like us in the time we grew up, in the place we grew up, if you get what I'm saying. Definitely. And then also talk about when you lost your your, your mate uh -huh. who passed away. Talk right. about that dark period, because I remember when private conversations we had, yeah. that you yeah. that was like your darkest period where you yeah, well, almost took your life. Yeah. Talk about yeah, that. so it was, like, it was like, you know, he had his name was Robert too. And, um, you know, Robert and Robert and Robert was a very, very, he was a very eclectic person. So he, he lived in New York. He had been in New York a very long time and he wanted, you know, he, he, we loved each other. I, I'll say it like that. We loved each other. You know, he was from the Massachusetts area. So I would oftentimes go up to Massachusetts. His whole family knew me, his sisters, his brothers, his mother, everybody up there knew me but nobody on my side knew Robert, right. the Robert that I had spent the last 10 years of my life with. Right. And so it came to a point where I had to be honest. And so Robert, all along, he was like, Robert, you got to get yourself ready for this because it's going to happen. And I was right. like, okay, I'm going to get my, you know, 10 years down the road. Okay, I'm going to get myself together. Right. Seven years down the road, get yourself together, Robert, for this because it's coming. Right. Okay, Rob, I'm going to get myself together. Five right. years, three years, two years, you know, get yourself together. Okay, Robert, I'm going to get myself together. Well, my brother, I could never get myself together, especially after, you know, uh, after they committed him into Calvary Hospital here in, in Brooklyn. You know, once you go to Calvary, that's the end of the line right. in the Bronx. So that's just like the last stop. And, uh, I was trying to work and leave Brooklyn and get to the Bronx every day and be there with him. And the body was just declining. And so I finally, you know, it finally happened and he finally, it finally happened. And, and then I had to come back and live in that apartment 
by myself. You know, an apartment that Robert had lived in for 25 years. His stuff was everywhere. I just, I just, it was like one of the darkest time periods in my life. And so it was just like, if I don't, if I don't seek help, I did go through grief and loss counseling for men. It was a special group here in New York. It was grief and loss counseling, especially for men of color. And so that was a specific type of group. And because I was going through the struggles that I was going through, they allowed me in so I could I could talk. And I still wasn't going to be honest about it. I still wasn't going to talk about me splitting my wrist or taking a razor to myself or, you know, end of my life. Oh, I got to have this conversation with my religious mother and my sanctified daddy and all these homophobic people around me that that are really going to look down on me where it was total opposite. None of, not only did those people not look down on me, those people loved and supported me, you know, in the end. And I, I gave them more power than they, you know, I gave them more negative power, if I could say that, instead of right. more positive power. You know what I'm saying? Right. That my mom loved me. My father loved me. My brothers and sisters told me, you know, they told me. They said, we respect who you are and we are just, we want, we respect and love you so much. We just want to give you an opportunity to tell us, to open your mouth and tell us, my brother. I wouldn't even do that. I hid it, you know? And that's why it's very important, whether they like you or not, whatever that issue is, drug, sexuality, whatever, tell them, you know, open up. And if it, the truth will set you free. I know it's a cliche, but the, it will. <laughs> I was lying, you know, and I was clogged up and bogged up and hiding and couldn't be happy. Mm-mm, not anymore. Not anymore. And even here in New York, where it's supposed to be so open, there's so many liars and game players and people that won't be honest with themselves. So, so, and- hey. No, it's true. But also talk about what your father when you when you told your father because I remember you told me that yeah. story about. Yeah. What did your father when you finally opened up to your father? What did your yeah. father say? My father was really, he was really the big man in this, you know, because of, of course I'm a man and I like being a man. I like a, I like being a man. There's nothing else that I'd rather be. You know what I'm saying? My father, I have his name. I'm his oldest son, so it's all of that kind of issue around and i'm robert gibbons he's robert gibbons so you know and i look just like him we just he spit me out and i love that but it brought us closer you know after years of being estranged and i kind of felt like you know he uh you know he was gonna he was the one that i was worried about more so than my mom my mom is a little more flexible but my father my father's like an oak i mean like he is like tough (laughs) you know he you know he's a man's man and so you know he's not gonna go for he's not gonna go for too many things that are outside of traditional for him. He's a traditional man. And um, and I love him to death now. I mean, like, I told him after I told him those things, he, he's like, you still my son, you know? You still Robert. You still the Robert that I looked in, you know? And, 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 and we went through that whole, you know, rehabilitation of our father-son relationship, you know? And as a matter of fact, my next book that's coming out, I'm dedicating it to him because of that, that that whole rehabilitation that we went through, you know, unfortunately he he contracted the COVID and he he needed a kidney. So right now he's not in the best, but he's coming back because he's a strong black man and I love him. And he did, he did, he came through for me and he's there for me. You know what I'm saying? And now we we're like the best of friends and, and, and there's nothing's gonna stop us from loving each other. And that's 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 a father to a to a son. And it's just like 
he's one of my biggest mentors. Yeah. And 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 it, and it shows in your work, and it shows right. in your excitement, especially right. when you finally were open, yeah, and, and transparent. It just right. that burden right. just dropped off. He needed from, to hear it. He week. needed to hear it. He right. needed to hear right. it, Ishmael. He needed to hear it. He he needed to hear it because you know it's out there, and um, it's out there. It's in the church. It's in the schools. It's on the streets. It's you know they need to hear it to be aware and it's in the family, you know, I certain family, I want this kind of family, you know, I want this kind of, I want this kind of construction of family, you know, but it, it, it's, it is what it is, as they say, it is, what, and whatever comes out, you know, we have to be grateful and hopefully support those people, you know, and how it happened, how it, how it comes out, you know? Yeah, and I and I, oh. and I think it's it's important that you you you're sharing your story because there's right. a lot of people who's dealing with the same thing that yeah. you're with, and they don't right. feel comfortable right. in their own skin. They don't, bro. To let people know this is who right. I am because we right. still live in a society where, you know, they accept it, but they're still a part of the society that don't accept it. Right. So it just right. depends on your family and the people, right. your environment that you're in. Right. Um, but do you remember that poem that represent that embodies your struggle? And if you do, do you, I, I don't want to put you on the spot. I got Would it. you mind reciting it? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I have I have a poem I was working on just for this particular, okay. you know, this thing. And uh, um, right, so. This poem is called Migration, Migration. Yesterday, a moth traveled with me on the train, a dingy colored body with winged hood and thorax, abdomen and geometrics. It hitched for the ride, attached to the side of the seat like a strap hanger perched a mask of mimicry with big snake eyes, as much of a spectacle as it resides there in daylight. I thought time would be night travel or overnight, but it's morning. The squeaking violence of the train as his Ebola bound body is cremated, sent back to the dust, back to earth like a comet or asteroid, back to the prairies of Africa or Crimea, to the upper latitudes where transmigration happens, where we all become exoskeleton, not named by genius or species or categorized inbox or identifying markers. We are one in the indivisible, <clears throat> not the critical mass of human mortality. And the reason my body floats on the Hudson is because I'm lost to history. I want to remain discoverable, not a matter of fact, but innuendo and that death moth that followed me on the train waits in its journey, stationed as a sign of judgment of time. And the train will come to an end one day. And I have to tell my story, so I shuffle 
the back roads of country, past dump trucks and carcasses and the last of warehouses and slaughterhouses and old bread houses and old leather factories. And I still see the plastic of yesterday, so I had to hop this train. But there's more to the metaphor than a place for just sitting on a train or consummation of air and breath, more than the fanaticism and hysteria. But there on that train, the death hawk swoops and dips his oblong into the physical space and it becomes natural, a natural inclination to reside with me. Only the mortal proclivity is bothered by this production. The reduction of one owns comfort as I try not to look or be bothered by other people, but I have to look, I have to say, I have to talk, I have to be real, I have to tell the truth. Who's to say? I have to tell the truth just like that moth is telling the truth. The reason there is evidence of my background, of my heritage, of my ancestry, it's all in my imagination. It's all in my imagination. Wow, bro. Do you like that poem? I wrote that poem bro, just for you, my brother. Bro, honestly, <laughs> I, I intensely closed my my eyes when I was listening to it. Right. I, I I was I was thinking of um James Baldwin. That sounds like something that James Baldwin was would say. That's great. And, That's great. You put him in great company, <laughs> bro. That was beautiful. And Thank I'm, you. I want to end this episode on of that is not a now on that man that i appreciate that, that embodies everyone everyone to so, take a piece from that poem and it right. applies to their life that right. is so powerful yeah I, i'm yeah I, I can't say anything after that right. man. thank you my brother yeah because <laughs> yeah before we go brother all right where can right. people find you um where can they get your work okay please the floor is yours right right so my name is Robert Gibbons. You can reach out to me on Facebook, Robert Gibbons, on Instagram, Anthony Robert Gibbons. I do have a new book coming out. Um, and so I can send information to you and you can, you know, put in the atmosphere. But thank you so much for letting me share this little part of my journey with you. It's just a pleasure. Yeah, yo There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here by that I'm behind you But always got you, end the discussion, nothing means more First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak A change will partake Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded, prepare you For all of the above that I'm never letting get near you But still in all, give you every advantage I found Couldn't find a better fit for them, along with my crown And since the baton was passed, I've been down Cause feeling's not an option, and dad is not a noun, not at all my message to any dad, man, first off, know that, yeah, it, it is a hard job, but it's the greatest job in the world. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't change anything about it. Everything you're doing from here on out, if it didn't have purpose before, now it has purpose. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. Just be a dad.